Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There are nine known causes of aging. At the heart of what do they all nine have in common? Inflammation and stress. As we move into flow, one of the things that happens is, is it pushes stress hormones out of our system. It reactivates the parasympathetic system and it sets, resets the nervous system to zero, which is amazingly potent. So that's point A. We know flow is a massive boost in performance, which increases productivity. And on average, the executives reported being 500% more productive. What it basically means is if you spend Monday in a flow state, you can take Tuesday through Friday off and get as much done as everybody else. Two days a week in flow and you're a thousand percent more productive than the competition. Flow is not binary. It's a four-stage cycle. So the most important of flow's triggers is... Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. Success doesn't guarantee happiness, but the experience of flow does. As many of you know, the topic of flow and its deeper implications are subjects I'm particularly interested in and have spoken about on many occasions on this podcast. And in today's episode, we go deep into what is a fascinating area. Stephen Kotler is a New York Times bestselling author and executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He spent decades exploring flow and working out ways for people from elite athletes and Navy SEALs through to your everyday man and woman to hack their way into the zone. Stephen's written a really cool new book, it's called Nar Country, in which he applies his flow wisdom to mastering an extreme sport at the seemingly impossible age of 53. So this conversation, as well as being about flow and how to get into it, is also about peak aging and performance. Stephen is a great guy, I love his work and so enjoy chatting to him. And if you enjoy our conversation and could share it, I'd be very grateful. It does make a really big difference in terms of people being able to find this podcast in what is an increasingly busy and noisy space. So thank you in advance for that. But first, here is the fantastic Stephen Kotler. Stephen Kotler, lovely to have you on the podcast. How are you this morning? I am really good. How are you? Well, I'm a bit bent out of shape, as you know, with my back, but I'm delighted to have you on the pod. I'm a huge fan of yours, huge fan of your work, huge fan of this book, Nar Country. It's outstanding. It's funny. It's informative. It's a page turner. And I've got to apologize to you because it's a beautiful looking book and I've absolutely coated it 
in notes and underlining. So there's no way this one's going to the charity shop. But uh, I would say this book is about it's two things, really. Killing it in the second half of life, avoiding the long, slow rot, as you call it, and about harnessing the power of flow. And so I want to sort of talk about both of those two things. But uh, just for a bit of context, flow is a topic I've talked about a lot. But you're the guy who's taken understanding of flow to whole new levels. And I really take my hat off to you and the rest of the Flow Research Collective because it's a fascinating subject, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's swallowed my life. It absolutely yeah. swallowed my life 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I think your backstory in terms of how you got into that, I mean, I don't want to dwell too long because I know time is of the essence, but I know that you were chasing extreme athletes around for pretty much your whole career and that led to some like 80 plus broken bones. And those broken bones, though, and the time that you had off because of them, and then seeing the development that these extreme athletes made in the time that you were off, correct me if I'm wrong, led to or deepened your fascination in flow. Is that right? Yeah. So you, I, as you pointed out, I spent my early career, first 10 years of my career as a journalist. And I, a lot of what, it, what I was working on was neuroscience and neurobiology. And the second half of what I was working on was uh, extreme sports. And I was covering everything. And I was chasing athletes around mountains and what caught my attention were two things. This was in the 90s. So if you know anything about extreme sports in the 90s or action sports, right? We don't call them extreme sports anymore. Action sports um, in the 90s. It's often referred to as the era of impossible. More impossible feats, never been done, never supposed to be done, uh, occurred than ever before. And it was over and over and over again. And that's what I was noticing. I'd get injured and you know, I'd come, take two weeks off, six weeks off, whatever, and I'd come back. And the progress I saw was just mind blowing. It didn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense to any of the people who were involved in this. Everybody was witnessing the same thing. More importantly to me, it was these athletes. And I knew these people. I was living in these communities. These were my friends. But like, and I knew enough about kind of peak performance and the neurobiology of peak performance to know that these were not your like telltale standard uh, peak performers. Most of the people I knew had horrible childhoods. They came from really broken homes. They had no money. They had very little education. There was tons of risk taking in these communities, tons of substance abuse. And normally you put these things together in, in, a, in a town, in a community, and people die younger. They go to jail. What they don't do is reinvent what's possible for the human species. So I wanted to understand how the hell this was happening. And in talking to all the athletes about what was going on and how did you just do this thing that for all of recorded history was impossible, they would say, I don't know, but I'm getting into this altered state of consciousness, um, which we now know, you know, we now call flow, we now know is flow, uh, where, you know, everything just seems to disappear um, and I just merge with the activity and all aspects of performance, mental and physical go through the roof. So this is sort of where it started for me. And because I was already fascinated with neuroscience, neuroscience became the tool that I wanted to use to decode flow. And ever since that kind of initial fascination, that's essentially what I've done. First, I did it in, you know, magazine articles and, and columns and, and books and, and now, you know, so this is my second company that I've started that, you know, specifically focuses on investigating the neurobiology of peak human performance and flow. So what's going on in the brain and the body when humans are performing at their best and in flow. And, you know, flow is about, as you say, peak performance. But as you nodded to, it's about more than that. It's loss of self, time distortion. It's what we all want. And I want to dig deeper into some of those aspects a little bit later. But first thing to say is, as well, it's a trillion dollar industry, isn't it? We are, for example, like I'm a big sports guy. I love tennis in particular, Roger Federer in particular, been going to Wimbledon huh. for years. And I'm paying to watch people like him in flow. Yeah. You have certainly done your research. You have definitely read a lot of my <laughs> books. Um, that, that, that is for sure. But yeah, this was actually a statement uh, Salim Ismail uh, made years and years ago. We were at Singularity University uh, and Salim uh, has spent a lot of years studying organizational innovation, creativity, and success. Uh, and flow was a, a big part of that cocktail. We were talking about 
kind of the impact that flow had on business and how much money it was making people. And he, he stopped me. He said, it's not just that. He's like, dude, every time we go to a concert, every time we go to a sporting event, every time you go to a movie or a poetry reading, or actually even go like get a meal in a good restaurant or take your pick, we are paying to see people or experience people in flow. That's what we're doing, right? An actor in flow. This is the secret to a great performance. It athlete in flow. This is the secret to a great performance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there, this is a trillion dollar industry. It's by the way, the place it's been most well categorized is actually in video gaming because they figured out a very long time ago that the games that drop players into flow just so flow is considered the most pleasurable state on earth, right? Yeah. It underpins happiness and well-being and overall life satisfaction and meaning and purpose and all that stuff. But that's a very fancy way of saying this is the most addictive experience on earth. <laughs> it's the experience we'll take over all others. And we can talk about the neurobiology of why that is later if you want. But the point is that the video game industry figured out that those games that drop people into flow the fastest and keep them there are the ones that sell the best. Yeah, and this is, sense. it's not just video games. Of course, it's web pages and uh, websites and on and on and on. VR works this way, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been very, very well quantified. It's a trillion dollar industry to say the least. And, uh, you know, at the heart of everything from like industry to, you know, our happiness and well being. And yeah. as we're going to yeah. probably talk about uh, in a second, flow sits at the absolute center of peak performance aging. Absolutely. Right. So we'll come back to flow and some of the nuances and those real interesting details about flow. But as you said, in terms of the sort of the peak performance aging. So for a bit of context, you are a lifelong skier. You're a very good one at elite skier. You spent years chasing extreme athletes around, you know, skiing, um, trying to catch them. And I know it took you 20 years until you were basically up to their speed. Proudest moment of my life. Proudest <laughs> moment of my life. And I know there's, you know, as I said, numerous broken bones and all that kind of stuff. But but then what you've done ahead of writing NAR Country, G-N-A-R, um, what you've done ahead of writing this is that you decided that you wanted to learn to park ski, right? Which is a different sport altogether. And the key thing is you learned it at 53, at an age where the accepted wisdom was, this can't be done. You can't teach an old dog new trick. It's the, as I've already mentioned, the long, slow rock theory. And you debunked that by tapping into flow. You nailed it in one season and you've detailed it in this book in, in really amusing, as I said to you before we started recording, like really engaging, page-turning prose. Like it kept me up way too late. So it's mixing flow and, and peak performance as we get older. And the two are intrinsically linked. Yeah, so it turns out flow, it doesn't just underpin peak performance, it underpins peak performance aging. And essentially flow plays a huge role in the quality of our life. And the importance of that role increases over time for a bunch of reasons that we'll get to in half a second. But the weird thing is also our ability to access flow. Our desire for the state does not decrease, um, but our ability to access flow for a, a number of reasons can decrease over time. So this is in line with everything, the long, slow rot theory that you've mentioned. So the old idea about aging, the traditional idea of this long, slow rot theory is that all of our mental and physical skills decline over time and there's nothing we can do to stop the slide. That's the new theory basically says, hey, wait a minute, while these skills do decline over time and that includes our ability to get into flow, all of these are use it or lose it skills. So if we yeah. never stop training them, we can hang on to them, even advance them far later in life than anybody thought possible. And flow plays a major role in that, but flow becomes one of these skills that becomes really crucial as we age. And, and I can give you a couple, let me give you a couple quick reasons why, because it's Go just it. useful. Yeah. So the place to start is there are nine known causes of aging. There's a, some a amazingly famous summative classic paper uh, in, the, in the field that kind of details this. I wrote about this uh, heavily in The Future is Faster Than You Think. Um, and we, we broke all of them down. In our country, I just alluded to them uh, briefly. But the point is that at the heart of what do they all nine have in common? Inflammation and stress. That's the one commonality between all of them is they're all, they all are byproducts of stress and inflammation. They go in a bunch of different 
directions, right? Like from cell death and cell senescence to mitochondrial dysfunction and things like that. But at the heart, they all share inflammation and stress. As we move into flow, one of the things that happens is there's a global release all over the body of nitric oxide, which is this gaseous signaling molecule. It's almost in every cell in the body. But what it does is it pushes stress hormones out of our system. It reactivates the parasympathetic system and it sets, resets the nervous system to zero. Anything that fights stress and inflammation is an anti-aging tool. Flow is this total reset of the nervous system, which is amazingly potent. So that's point A. Point B is, you mentioned earlier, we were talking about it, their flow has these core, uh, they're, they're essentially phenomenological characteristics, ways the state makes us feel. This is how psychologists define flow. There are six of these. You mentioned a couple of them. Time passes strangely. Our sense of self disappears. There's complete concentration on the task at hand and a merger of action and awareness. More importantly to this discussion, in flow, flow underpins peak performance. That's not our experience. Our experience is a sense of control. Oh, wow, I can control things I can't normally control, right? This could be a tennis player putting shots wherever the hell they want. This could be me as a writer. You know, it's 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning and suddenly I'm doing things with words I don't normally do. I can control the language better. Um, and we also get this immense euphoria in flow. So when we experience incredibly positive emotions, like this euphoria that comes with flow, the sense of control that comes with flow, the sense of mastery that comes with flow, we trigger the production of T cells and natural killer cells. T cells boost the immune system, natural killer cells fight tumors and other sick cells. So flow has direct anti-aging properties on that level, the second reason the state is so important is um, for reasons that we can get into. If you want to preserve cognitive function, most cognitive decline takes place in the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's right behind your forehead. If you want to prevent that, the two best tools you've heard that lifelong learning is crucial for, for aging, for peak performance aging. The reason is that lifelong learning produces expertise and wisdom. Think of expertise as like facts and skills and strategies and tactics where wisdom is emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion and social intelligence, et cetera. But both, the point here is they form when we, when we gain expertise or wisdom, these are incredibly diffuse, robust, and redundant networks throughout the prefrontal cortex. They're basically impervious to cognitive decline. Flow amplifies learning and studies run by the U.S. Department of Defense Soldiers in flow learn 240 to 500% faster than normal, meaning we're onboarding expertise and wisdom at ridiculous speeds when we're in the state. And expertise and wisdoms are the very thing that are neuroprotective against cognitive decline. So for all of these reasons and about 50 more, access to flow over time is incredibly important, underpins at the center of peak performance aging, and our ability to get there sort of diminishes over time. Yeah. Well, loads of things to pick up on. So I'm just going to mention a couple of quick ones. So you talked about this sense of control. Now, I've spoken to plenty of people and have done my own digging into this, not to the same degree as you. And uh, something, a characteristic, though, with that loss of sense of self is often a sense of amazement that they're able to do this. And I, I know from my own experience of having been in flow, for example, when playing tennis, that amazement at a shot that I pulled off. So there is that sense of, wow, I can do this, but at the same time, it's not me doing it, which is that loss of the sense of self. And I know the cortex drops out, doesn't it? And then in terms of the, 500, the 250% to 500% you know, increase in, in learning, well, first of all, that <laughs> reduces potentially reduces burnout and stuff, but that's also how you managed to nail park skin yeah. in one season. And then also yes, how and, you- Yes and yeah. no, right? Okay. It, 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 yes, we used a very specific learning protocol that had that that took advantage actually of the reasons our ability to access flow diminishes over time. Um, and, uh, and by doing that, like we, yes, it massively boosted the learning. It comes down to, it's not actually, the prefrontal cortex matters in for the learning. Obviously, it's also the five big neurochemicals. There are five potent reward chemicals that show up and flow. This is why the state is so pleasurable. But a quick shorthand for how learning works, the more neurochemicals that show up during experience, better chance it has of going long, uh, short-term holding into long-term storage. 
right? Flow is this huge neurochemical dump, which is why uh, we tend to always remember flow experiences and why it tends to cement the learning kind of into our brain. Yeah. So just quickly, give an overview then. So in terms of park skiing, I mean, it's it's jumping on rails, it's over boxes, it's doing hardcore tricks, 360 degree jumps, all this kind of stuff. And you set what, like 48 tricks to learn in a season? And I think you managed 46, and which is basically nigh on impossible. And so you managed to do that. And then, but it's not just a first person description of, wow, this is amazing at what I've done. You've then taken a whole a control group of people and, you know, of all yeah, ages. We redid the, exp- we redid redid the, the experiment. experiment. Yeah, we redid the experiment. Again, right? Yeah. And if you, so if you go to uh, the website for the book, NAR Country, G-N-A-R, as you pointed out, country.com, and you click on watch the peak performance aging experiment, it's exactly right. I went, you know, zero to 60 far faster than I thought possible. My ski partner, who was younger than me by a, by a couple of decades, but was a, and was a, he was actually a former pro athlete or had a sponsored park skier, but had gotten injured, retired, had a career, had a family, came back to it. He got so far, so incredibly far in a single season using the same protocol. That was what really like caught caught my attention. I was like, holy crap, it's not just me. Like I've been skiing with Ryan for six years. I know his rate of progression and I've never seen anything like what I'm looking at. The hell's going on? Let's run this experiment. So we got, it was 17 older adults, ages uh, 29 to 68. And 29 is important on this because aging is a fact of life. Old is a mindset and it can set up very early in life. So one of the things I like to point out to people is that peak performance aging starts young. I mean, like literally there's stuff you want to do in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s in your 50s to sort of rock into your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, et cetera. Um, It's very, very clear from the data. And um you you were laughing. Um, I I just who, love your turn of phrase, Stephen. Honestly, uh, I love it. I I just love it. Sorry, I didn't mean um, to put you off. No, it's all right. Why I uh, love the book. Go on. Um. So yeah, uh, once we started seeing it working in like sixty-eight year olds, um, then I was like, okay, we're really onto something. We have since since the book came out, or since the book was written and, and went into publication, we reran the entire protocol with actually three hundred and thirty people. Um, we stripped out park skiing and park snowboarding because obviously not everybody's going to want to engage uh in an action sport and remind me you can't let me off this podcast until i talk to you about tennis as a peak performance aging tool because there's a lot of data there it's really actually uh, skiing is probably better but tennis is really good and we can talk about why Um, but uh yeah, it was, that was sort of when uh, the lid came off with when it was 330 people and we had sort of exploded their traditional mindsets around aging and, and exploded the possibility. And the goal there wasn't for people to, to you, the goal is to, was for them to design their own NAR country quest. So <laughs> the point, you know, for some people, you know, park skiing and park snowboarding is the right tool. Other people, it's just about tackling an impossible challenge in the second half of your life that if you come out the other side successful, it just explodes your mindset about what you thought was possible in the second half of your life. That was the point, right? Learn something that you just think is impossible for you to learn at this point in your life. Use this protocol to do that and uh, and then reevaluate the possibilities in your second half of your life and we were incredibly successful uh even once we stripped out the skiing and the snowboarding absolutely and and I, look just a quick summary for me the three reasons i think why i love this book so much a your turn of phrase which is why i was chuckling just now <laughs> b it's it's a it's a page turner like it, because it's written in a diary format it's very engaging it's it really lends itself to a flow reading experience and then the information about peak aging and obviously about flow and how to tap into that. And obviously all your works are related to that. So just to bring it back then to flow, and you've obviously talked about it in terms of, you know, learning and um, important for how we flourish at all ages and crucial, particularly as we get older. But just for a bit of an outline for people who, who are familiar with it, perhaps not that familiar, it's not binary on or off, is it? Uh, it is not so flow is not binary. It's not on or off. It's a four stage cycle actually. And, uh, 
it starts in a struggle phase. This is sort of a loading phase. You're filling the brain with information. And it's actually, it's called struggle because it's frustration is built into this process. Uh, this is this is really beneficial for people to sort of understand. Your emotions from a peak performance perspective don't always mean what you think they mean. And one of the things is that for most people, frustration is a sign that they're doing something wrong. And in this work, it's actually a sign that you're doing something right. The more frustrated, the more, the harder you're working to try to like onboard new skills, the better off you are. It's followed by a uh, release phase where you literally, uh, in the struggle phase, it's all conscious attention. You're just thinking about how do I do this? How do I learn this? Right. In release, you just take your mind off the problem. And it's, this is low grade physical activity that usually works best along sort of walk in nature. Or I'll give you an example from the ski hill. I was in struggle phase all morning trying to learn tricks. During the release phase, I, I, I'm like, okay, let's get the hell out of the terrain park. Let's just go explore a part of the mountain that we've never seen before. Maybe the skiing isn't super, super aggressive, but we'll get some novelty. We'll get a new environment. Um, and it'll just a little bit of low-grade physical ex- exercises and novelty to take my mind off the problem. That's followed by a flow state itself. Um, and then on the back end of flow, flow is neurobiologically expensive to produce. It's a bit high-energy state. So there's a recovery period on the back end. And this can also be a little bit of a low because you've got these big five uh, kind of reward chemicals that dumped it, get dumped into our system in flow and they fade out and they take a little while to replenish. And, and in recovery, you, you need an active recovery protocol kind of to kind of rebuild yourself up. Deep delta wave sleep is really important, especially for lifelong learning because we can't really move information from short-term holding into long-term storage without it. Uh, so the recovery phase is on the back end. More importantly, I think to kind of the work we did on the mountain uh, and, and the work that we did in peak performance aging is that the other half of this equation, I've just given you a map of the experience. The other thing you need to know is that flow states have what we call triggers or preconditions that lead to more flow. And there are 26 that have been discovered. There's probably way more of them, but that's where the field is at today. And the only thing to, to know about all 26 is what do they have in common? We started this discussion saying flow follows focus. It only shows up when all our retention is in the right here, right now in the task at hand. Yeah. That's what the triggers do. They drive attention into the present moment. And uh, so what we uh, realized is that some of these triggers are different in older adults. And that was at the heart of kind of the learning protocol that we broke down. And I'll only talk a little bit more here about about the one one major thing that's important. So the most important of flows triggers, it's what's known as the challenge skills balance. If you happen to speak physiology, this is the Yerkes-Dobson curve. But the idea is that we pay the most attention to the task at hand and flow follows focus. So you want to maximize attention on the task at hand when the challenge of that task slightly exceeds our skill set. So you want to stretch, but not snap. So for most people, it's about a 5% difference, right? That's not hard science. It's more of a metaphorical number, but usually we pay the most attention to the task at hand. The challenge is about 5% greater than our skills. As we age, um, because of something called allostatic load, which is literally the impact of stress over time on our physiology yeah. and our psychology, that challenge skills sweet spot shrinks. And we realize that in older adults, and again, old is not an age. I said that earlier old is a state of mind. It can set up as early as our 20s. The minute the voice in your head starts saying you're too old for this shit, <laughs> you've caught old a little yeah. bit. And we can talk about why and where that comes from and everything else, but like that's a very good telltale sign of it in a sense. So the minute that sort of starts happening, this challenge still starts shrinking. And we started realizing that in older adults, it could be as small as like 1%. So what we did is we said, okay, we're going to, in, in, in our learning how to park ski or snowboard, start with an established motor pattern, something that you can do 100% of the time with zero fear and no conscious interference. And then build on it one inch at a time. Add a tiny little micro movement and don't, this is not deliberate practice. You're not like iron fisting it. Oh my God, I have to, I have to do this right now. You, you want to take a deliberate play approach. Um, and that that's really important. 
um, especially if you want to drive flow along the way. Um, it really, really, really helps. Um, if when we're trying deliberate practice, the prefrontal cortex is very active. The ego is engaged. We know what right is. We know how to win. When we're just being playful and improvising, there's no right, right? It, it's a little more free flowing. The prefrontal cortex isn't as active. It's easier to drop into flow. Um, and it's easier to pay attention to what we're doing. And the point is that was a big part of what we did was this one inch at a time vertical and so in skiing or snowboarding, there's something called a hockey stop, which is you flip your board or your skis sideways to stop and just slide, you know, sideways across the hill. And everybody who goes from like beginner to advanced beginner, you have to know how to do this. This is one of like the foundational principles. So we, when we did our study, we started with intermediates because we knew they'd all know how to hockey stop. And what we did was the goal wasn't to teach people how to do tricks. That was the byproduct of the goal. The goal was actually to use a different flow trigger, creativity or pattern recognition. When we link ideas together or movements together in a new way, that's pattern recognition. And we love pattern recognition in the brain. It produces a big squirt of dopamine. It drives focus into the present, right? Much like the challenge skills balance does, um, just a sort of a different trigger. And what we wanted to do is we broke park skiing, park riding into ACE foundational motions, jumping, a 180, a 360, a grind, a slash, etc., and taught them to everybody two motions a day when we were on the mountain together. And then said, okay, build on these with established motor pattern. And the thing we knew is because they all know how to hockey stop, if I raise the elevation of a hockey stop by 10 degrees, if I have you hockey stop basically on a like on a small snow berm. That's a grind or a, or a, a slash, depending on which way you turn your, your hips. So we knew everybody had a place to start and a first motion that they could begin to learn from already that was going to be safe. So that was sort of, we took advantage of Flo's creative trigger, right, to uh, teach them these new emotions and sort of layer them in. And what we did, the second half of what we did was... We didn't talk. There was almost no instruction. Instead, we played follow the leader games through the terrain park. And the goal was do what the person in front of you does, or if it's too radical for you, dial it down so it's in that one inch at a time, 1% role. And this whole, when we, the reason we played these follow the leader games is because of research and embodied cognition around mirror neurons. When we watch somebody else do a move, whatever it is, serve a tennis ball or do a, do a ski trick, our brain runs the exact same motor program and we get a go, no go signal internally, like interior receptively. We get a little squirt of dopamine if we have the trick and we get a little bit of fear if we don't. And so basically by playing these follow leader games and paying attention to what's going on inside, you could dial in yeah. that challenge skill suites about yeah. what you should do next. The result was all these, this creativity would drop people into flow. And because the people at the front of the line were the better athletes and were doing actual tricks, everybody saw the tricks, right? You were doing your version, but what ended up happening is as you dropped into flow, performance starts going up. Um, people started doing the, the flow states took care of the trick learning right by itself all we had to do was onboard these new motions that would drop people into flow and then create these conditions that were very very playful that allowed them to take advantage of everything that happens in the state and the state did the rest of the work wow and love it the bonus right because the state underpins peak performance aging right in a sense people get younger as a result Amazing. Amazing. Right. A few things I want to quickly rattle through in terms of just recapping that you've just said. So first of all, you spoke about, you know, the deliberate practice. Anders Ericsson, I spoke to Anders, one of the last interviews actually before he very sadly passed away. Uh, lovely man. Yeah. He is and, lovely man. Oh, lovely super, man. like one of the nicest men I've yeah, yeah. ever sort of interviewed. I have a very with. funny Anders Ericsson story for okay. you if you'd like to hear it. it, it bear with me. Bear with me, All Steve, right. just because I'm just conscious of time and there's so much right. uh, stuff All I right. want to get good, through. Good, you. good, good. Um, so, but the other thing is deliberate play. And, and I was thinking about this actually. I went for a walk earlier and I walked past a school and they were on playtime. And there were all the kids out there playing different games. And I thought, God, you know, we lose that. We lose that as we get older, don't we? And deliberate play is obviously like deliberate practice, but 
way better for the reasons you've outlined. Then you talked about allostatic load. That's the reason, by the way, I do something called TRE. I don't know if you're familiar with it, to release trauma from, from the hips, which I found to be very, uh, very powerful. Then you talked about flow and, well, flow and presence, I would say, are, are synonymous. Um, I know I'm rattling through things here. The four-stage cycle, struggle, release, flow, recovery. Just quickly, your daily routine when you're not on the slope, I think is fascinating. So I know you get up at 4 a.m., lunatic, and do like four hours of writing, which is your struggle phase. And then the release phase, you go for a hike with your dogs and you go uphill. I know you, you walk for like 20 minutes and then run a bit uphill. And then it's the running downhill that really can spark the flow, right? Yeah, if you, so... <laughs> um. One, presence, uh, you were right. So if you're in the literature surrounding flow in video games, VR, et cetera, et cetera, they call flow presence, right? It's, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's just a different, different term. Um, uh, though it took, uh, it took flow researchers a really damn long time to figure that out. Um, and so like there was this whole field of research that was flow adjacent that we didn't know about for years because they changed the terminology at us. Um, but, uh, my flow walk is exactly is exactly that. So um, if I'm in struggle, right, during the writing, it's not going well. I got to follow that by release. And if I'm in flow, I need to follow that by recovery. And a long walk in nature, if you keep it just like mellow and slow, it's a phenomenal recovery tool um, for a lot of different reasons. But if I was in struggle and I, and I said, I want to get into flow so I can like come back to work you know, when I, when I'm back from the dog hike, I do exactly what you say. You, you walk for about 20 minutes on even ground. And, uh, sometimes I, I, I like to walk with a weight vest cause it does a lot of other peak performance aging. aging you made me want to buy one just so it. you know. Um, pardon me. Oh, I said you fantastic. made me want to buy one for sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, sorry, we have on. a, uh, we partnered with Hyperware. we really like yeah. their weight vest, I know, I've checked um, them out. but there yeah. are a lot of good ones out there. Anyways. Okay. Um, you're right. Uh, so 20 minutes and, and you basically, you want to walk until the nitrous oxide gets released um, front edge of a flow state. And how do you know? Your lungs open up and uh, you, the brain starts to go quiet, but it's really the expansion of your lungs. And every, you can feel this. You've worked out, if you play sports at all, you know about 20, 25 minutes in, depending on your fitness yeah. level. Once that happens, you want something that's going to sort of trigger endorphin or anandamide release, you basically want to hurt yourself. So go <laughs> uphill fast is what I do. So 20 minutes, 25 minutes, even, and then five, usually five to seven minutes, hard uphill at, 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 at a heavy pace at a, at a fast clip. Right. Then, you know, I sort of like catch my breath at the top and then I come down fast and the going up puts anandamide into our system and then coming down quickly um, releases dopamine into our system. And it's the, you're basically mimicking kind of, you're, there's a bunch of flow triggers packed in there and you're mimicking some of the neurochemicals involved in flow. Uh, you got to be careful running downhill quickly. You know what I mean? If you've yeah. never done it and certainly I don't run now, Ryan, my ski partner will actually put on a 20, 25 pound white vest and he will run downhill full force. Yeah. Um, I will also tell you that Ryan was an all state quarterback in high school and has legs the size of tree trunks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I will come down, uh, I will run down if I don't have the weight vest on. And then if I have a weight vest down, I'll come down. I, you want to just, you want to move faster than your legs can sort of normally carry you. You want to like, you want the gravity assist. There's something about the gravity assist and, and, and a fast twitch lateral motion um, and the frame, the increase in frame rate of things moving past your eyes. All of these things combine to drop us into flow. And, you know, then I come back to work and I'm already in flow. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And the frame, the increase in frame rate of things moving past your eyes, all of these things combine to drop us into flow. And, you know, then I come back to work and I'm already in flow. Yeah. And as you say, never waste flow. And so you get into that. Now, the opposite or something in terms of barriers to flow. I know you talk about friction that gets in the way of flow. And I just want to touch on a few of these because I think these are really uh, interesting and important. I know you've said passive aggressive bosses are particularly bad interruptions so for example when you're on the ski lift you know you don't want to be getting uh, work calls or anything like that and yet so much of the way modern world is set up we are so hyper distracted that it's increasingly difficult to find flow for those very reasons right yeah so i mean this is this is bread and butter at the flow research collective right we're a research and a training organization yeah. and on the training side we work in 130 countries and we work with everybody from kind of just average, average folks through professional athletes, through major companies. We work with Facebook and Accenture and Audi and the San Francisco Fire Police Department and the Air Force and on and on. Um, and uh, a lot of the work we do, you know, a lot of our, our core flow training, this is this is why, because of how much we're distracted at work and you know the the penalties of distraction at work are, are a lot of a lot of things that we're we're doing uh, in our work, and uh, I think the average knowledge worker gets interrupted once every eleven minutes, yeah. and just if that's twice as deadly in flow. If you're in, if you happen to be in flow, it takes twenty three minutes, fifteen to twenty three minutes to get back in flow. If you get knocked out of the state, if you can get back at all. Um, yeah. you, often you can't get back at all, but your chance is that there's at least a 15 to 20 minute delay to get back in. So n- getting knocked out of flow is really important. So, you know, we emphasize how important complete concentration is for flow. And, and what that means is, so you said earlier that I start my day with a writing session. I do, but I also manicure my space. I practice distraction management ahead of time. I'm not more powerful than my devices. They're going to win. So I turn off email and and all my messages and all my Mm. alerts and I shut down, you know, Facebook and social media and all of that. I actually turn the lights off in my office. So it's pitch black. And I, I work in, in, in focus view, which is Microsoft word. It's just the words. So everything is gone and all I can see are, are, are the words that's distraction management. Another part of distraction management is really important in a, in a business environment, or if you're for anybody who's working from home, whose families have your conversations ahead of time. So we know flow is a massive boost in performance, which increases productivity. McKinsey, the business consultancy did a 10 year study of top executives in flow. And on average, the executives reported being 500% more productive. That's an enormous change. Means you can take four days off, right? Yeah. I mean, what it basically means is if you spend Monday in a flow state, you can take Tuesday through Friday off and get as much done as everybody else. Two days a week in flow and you're a thousand percent more productive than the competition. Um, and as a result of this, this is one of the reasons, by the way, the Flow Research Collective is so busy, right? Like yeah, sure, um, sure. Those, are, those are good numbers. Um, and uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, the flip side is this, you know, the, what, what you have to be able to, when I say have your conversations and ahead of time, talk to your bosses, your spouses, your kids, you're going to get time back, right? What you want to do is carve out, uh, we were talking about uninterrupted concentration and manicuring the space. 
I like four hours, but the research shows you want at minimum of 90 minutes. And the reason is the brain has a built-in slot for focus and attention that's 90 to 110 minutes long. It's basically, we all know, we go through a sleep cycle, right? A REM cycle, it's 90 to 110 minutes long. So that's, we have a focus waking cycle that's the same length that mirrors this. And so we have a built-in slot. I, I tell people, start by starting. You know what I mean? Carve out time for uninterrupted concentration, distraction management, all this stuff. And, you know, you get so much more done because you drop into flow so much more easily, especially with some knowledge of the flow cycle and the flow triggers that you get time back and you you'll, you can work up to that 90 or 20 minutes. And then, you know, what I found is that once I got to like 120 minutes of focusing, um, I learned how to stretch it. I learned how to use flow to stretch that out. Yeah. And sort of use the flow triggers to stretch that out and things like that. So you can, you end up getting so much more done. The end result, Richard Branson once said to me, there's in two hours in flow. There's nothing I can't get done. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, I can relate to that, albeit not as, you know, in such a necessarily um, planned fashion as you. I've interviewed, for example, Cal Newport about deep work and I've been writing on my, working on my book. So this year I've been getting up, I go to, to, to the gym, uh, nice gym, but I, I go there to work. Now I take earplugs, put my earplugs in, all distractions off, phone into airplane mode, you know, no email, nothing like that. And I'm, and I'm working on the book. I do about three hours and probably not as deep as you. And then what I find really interesting, and this sort of tallies with what you say, is that my mind at that point often will be like, particularly if I'm struggling, will be like, right, you can't take a break. You need to keep going. But I've learned to recognize that as a sign that I do need to take a break. So I go for a swim, then I go for a steam, and I come back, boom, I'm ready to go again. Like I'm, and and I, I, what I noticed was I was able to produce to a much higher quality than I had previously done by doing that. So even though it's not cl- completely following your protocol, I see there are elements of that. And I'm going to no, definitely there's try. And- there's elements too. And there's also so... <sighs> There's a lot of different ways we can go here, but uh, <laughs> when we talk about exercise is foundational for peak performance aging as well, right? There's expertise and wisdom and expert and exercise are, are sort of what, what matter. We can unpack this, but if you want peak performance aging in a sentence, it's you want to regularly engage in challenging creative and social activities that demand uh, dynamic, deliberate play and take place in novel outdoor environments. That's what an awesome sentence. That is an awesome sentence. That's the formula in a sentence. Now, mind you, that's also a formula packed with flow triggers. So like flow is what's implied underneath a lot of that sentence. But dynamic, dynamic is key here. Dynamic is any activity that demands strength, stamina, balance, agility, and flexibility. Or you got to train all those categories independently it's a lot of training. World Health Organization set numbers for peak performance aging. There's healthy aging numbers and peak performance aging. And for peak performance aging, it's 150 to 300 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity a week, two strength training days a week, and three balanced agility and flexibility training days a week. Or you can find single activities that combine all of those. And this is, this is the tennis point. So they looked, what are the best activities for longevity, right? And Dynamic activities are best, ones that, that combine everything. Uh, and so they looked at the Mayo Clinic, and it seems like action sports actually top this list. You get about 10 extra years of life from a, from sort of regular access to action sports. But And by the way, join a health club, it's about a year, year and a half. If you run, it's 3.1 years. Swimming, you're, what you're doing, is 3.4 years. Uh, then you get up to more social activities and more dynamic activities. Soccer uh, is six years. Badminton, or soccer, I think, is six years. Badminton is like seven something. Tennis is nine. Yes. Um, so tennis is a really great activity. The problem with swimming for peak performance aging, one of the problems is that it there's no it doesn't load the bones. So bone yeah. density decreases over time. And you, so that's why you need the strength training days. Oh yeah, no, I, I've added in the weights and the only th- and actually from that list because I've obviously been doing my research of your of your work. So I've been and that's how I've put my back out is I've been doing the weights, I've been doing the swimming, and I've been doing the sitting, reading the uh, writing the book. But I haven't been doing as much on the agility and the balance of flexibility. And after 
really familiarizing myself with your work, I'm just downloaded a new yoga app and I'm going to be doing adding three sessions of them a week and, and knocking back a little bit on, on the weights. And there was one other, you mentioned well, Brian. One, I mean, the other thing I would tell you to, to really do on that on. is when you're swimming, once you've warmed up, force yourself to swim every stroke. Okay. Force yourself to swim every stroke because you really, so, and here's one of the other reasons. This is the other reason the dynamic motion works so well. When we have to put strength, stamina, uh, and balance and agility, when we have to coordinate all those things at once, it also improves angiogenesis, the birth of new blood vessels, and neurogenesis, the birth of new neurons. So you get the supporting structure that feeds the neurons and new neurons. This is how you stave off cognitive decline. Um, and if you really want to amplify that, it's dynamic motion is, is, is much more important uh, than, than other kinds. Yeah. Well, me and my little girl, we were talking about this because I, I took your point about a sort of adventure sports. We're looking to join a rock climbing club near here and she's absolutely psyched about it, doing it. So, uh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. And that's all down to you. There's a lot of things down to you, Stephen. So I, I'm definitely in your debt. Now, um, one other thing I just want to say about, you know, the aging thing and you, we, I, I'm literally going to say a few things because there's a bit I want to get to before we run out of time and the importance of uh, interpersonal relationships. Uh, you've already mentioned nature, but you mentioned Ryan earlier. And, and you, the, what I found fascinating is the importance of strong legs in terms of uh, a sign that you're going to age well. But I don't want to, I, I just want to literally drop is that it. You in a, you're actually, yeah, I can hit both of those at once in a sense. Go um, on. But, but be quick, so, though, Stephen, because I've, I've got yeah, something. I'll, I'll, really go, I'll go very to. quickly. Um, the single most important determinant of healthy longevity is actually uh, strong legs, right? Thigh muscle mass inversely correlates with mortality. And it appears to be a, a number of reasons. Uh, one, bone density. The bar bones are the mineral storehouses of the body and the brain runs on minerals. Calcium runs the brain, basically. It's stored in the bones. Biggest bones in the body are in the legs. So that's one. Two is... Uh, if we lose leg strength, we tend to lose balance and mobility and mobility impacts us because the other factor that you mentioned, one of the most important things for healthy aging is social activity. Some about it, this is about just keeping the mind sharp um, and being exposed to new ideas and things like that. And some of it has to do with just the enormous power of oxytocin, uh, that, that particular chemical, the so-called trust hormone and love hormone. Uh, that gets released from social activity is directly correlated to health and longevity. Um, and uh, so that's the, the social component. And finally, um, that and if we lose uh, mobility, that goes away. When we lose mobility, we tend to hang out with our friends less often. And finally, the last thing is if you're not going to die of the big normal killers, cancer, heart disease, that sort of stuff, what kills a lot of older adults is a broken bone. They lose their balance, they lose leg strength, then they lose their balance, then they fall down and they break a hip and they die, not because of the hip, but because healing the broken hip is reduces the potency of the immune system and they get a secondary infection like pneumonia and that's what kills us. So uh, yeah. strong legs removes all of that from the platform. And one of the, that's the other benefit of, of dynamic training is you're not strong legs, especially balance and agility. You got to make sure you're training up strength and your prime mover muscles and your stabilizers, yeah. right? Otherwise, if your hip flexors go, it doesn't matter how strong your quads are. You're still not going to be able to balance yourself. God, that was fantastic. Bit of two minutes. That was two minutes. That was great. <laughs> that, as, as, I'd say as elevator pitches go, that's the best I've ever heard. Right. So just to finish then, Stephen, I want to ask you what is the most interesting part of flow for you? Because I was looking on your website and there's a nice quote at the beginning of one of your videos, which is flow is the doorway to more that most of us seek. And then there's one of the guys, uh, obviously, who's a friend of yours or a colleague of yours in the videos. He's talking about the experience of flow being in a state of absolute awareness. Now, I would say that that flow is the doorway to the more that most of us seek is actually an experience of the less that most of us seek because it's the less of the oh, self, both. right? Oh, it's both. I'm yeah, sure yeah, it's, it's both. both. But, but yeah, for no, me, you're, you're, but for you're me, right. No, let no, me you're just, totally... Let me just finish this yeah. one thing because the most interesting Please. thing for me, Stephen, is, is 
the, the, the self goes away, right? And if the self goes away, that means the self cannot be who we are. And the guy who said you're in a state of absolute awareness, the awareness that knows the self, the awareness never goes away. And so I would suggest, and, and this has been come out of various conversations I have, is that what we're really seeking is that to be in pure awareness without the separate self or the seeming separate self that we all seek to uh, get rid of, essentially, without even knowing it. So that's an interesting. So yes, I agree with everything you just said. I have a caveat. So the state of pure awareness, this, I mean, by the way, at the heart of every mystical system, right, is this kind of pure awareness, right? Which is why there's a lot of similarities between flow and meditation and what goes on in the brain. And that's what there's a lot of overlap there. When I say flow is the doorway to more that most of us seek, Here's something that's paradoxical or interesting, at least, which is in the state, self disappears, as you pointed out. And, and that's for most of us, a giant relief, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, thank yeah. God. Finally, oh, there's some space to breathe, right? And all that. And it's an ecstatic and it's joyous and, you know, and it has a huge impact on performance, huge impact on performance. We could talk about why, if, you know, at a later date if you want. But the point I want to make here is the second half, which is, not only does the self go away, performance goes through the roof. Yeah. And what that does is it unlocks uh, what Stephen Johnson called the adjacent possible, right? It unlocks a new possibility space, right? That was the coolest thing about my NAR country experiment is like whatever I thought was possible for me, you know, in the second half of my life, when I figured out how to do a nose butter 360, which was the trick I started out wanting to know how to do. That was what sort of like lured me into park skiing. It was the thing I was like, that is so cool, so beautiful. I want to know how to do that. When I learned it, everything else I thought that was possible for the second half of my life, I had to totally re-examine. Or to put it slightly differently, my the level of what I was, I was capable of went up so much that the possibility of what else I might be capable of went up in time. Now, I think what happens is because we have these experiences in tandem, because self goes away, right? And with it, all of our limiting thoughts, simultaneously, we get exposure to this novel possibility space, both what we're doing is amazing. And, oh my God, if I can do this, what else might I be able to do? And because it feels so goddamn good in flow, we're dumb enough to believe it. <laughs> it's really what I mean, dumb enough to believe it, but literally like we believe it, right? So like, it's not just that you're shown this possibility space. In fact, this is one of the hardest things that people have to learn about flow. And this is why I don't think it's just that pure awareness that that matters so much if you're interested in achievement or success or those kinds of things um, is because when you come out of flow, when you come out of that state, you know, you have a vision. You can be a concert pianist who has a vision of an entire opera in your head in a flow state. You think you're going to drop out of flow. It's going to take you like two weeks to figure it out and it could take 10 years, yeah. right? The vision is can be really overwhelming and it doesn't because time is gone and flow. We don't actually know how long the things we're seeing, the possibility will take to achieve kind of thing. Sometimes it goes a lot faster. My parking experience sometimes it can go a lot slower. So there's this mismatch and you, you have to sort of be aware of it because for some people it can be very demotivating or right? they have this vision and flow of what's possible and it doesn't just happen automatically. They actually have to grind it out. Um, but that I think that's what I mean by more. It's both yeah. together. And the other thing that's important is if you didn't know flow was possible, meaning if you didn't know you were going to get a break from yourself, that time out, that reset, I don't necessarily know if you could put in the hard work it takes to unlock that possibility space. So they work sort of together in tandem. And I think okay. that's okay. sort of what's, what's really important here. By the way, I'd be derelict and my CEO would punch me in the face if I didn't say the following. Um, which is if any of this is interesting to you and you're curious about learning more about flow or flow planning um, and your, your own life, go to getmoreflow.com, uh, which is the cheesiest URL in the history of the universe. I know <laughs> but to stick in people's minds and nobody can find the flow research collective online when you think what the flow, huh? I want to I'm gonna link to all of it. I promise you. Getmoreflow.com. You can go there. You can sign up for a free hour long coaching call with somebody with one of the coaches on my, on my team. 
uh, we'll tell you about our, our program, see what's right for you. But it's both like, here's where you're at in your life. So let's talk about what's blocking flow and, and how to fix that, that sort of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's an, ama- it's an amazing thing. Like people okay. just love those calls. So had to say it. All right. No, no, uh, no listen. In our country, cheap marketing uh, opportunity now over and done. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Last thing I'm going to say to you, Steve, before I say goodbye, you talked about the self disappears, being grateful for that. Those extreme guys you said at the start with their rough childhoods and the low education, it's no surprise they want the self to go. So it's no surprise that they, they managed to reset the boundaries and which can actually show the benefit of trauma to some degree. And you talked about, you know, flow is intrinsically happy. I would say success isn't. And I know I've spoken to enough people to to show that. Oh, the no, case. I mean, I say this in the art of impossible, like peak performance is not about happy or sad, right? Happy or sad are just things that happen on the way to peak performance. But flow, um, and there's a, flow is, is by definition a beautiful experience. Can't it is. It. And, it you know, when psychologists define happiness, there's three tiers that are available to humans and flow underpins the upper two tiers. For yeah. sure. So it's really built into how we think about happiness and well-being and life satisfaction. That said, right, um, that is very different from six, what success requires. And flow, in a sense, is what makes all the other stuff bearable, tolerable, yes. um, and ultimately enjoyable. Right. Absolutely, that's yeah. the, that's the ultimate thing that like flow sort of knowing that the grind can get you into flow totally changes the nature of the grind. Absolutely. Right. Listen, Stephen, I know you've got to go, but I just want to say Stephen Kotler, Nar Country was brilliant. I loved your book. I love your work. And I hope you don't mind me saying this. I'm a bit in love with you as well. You're a dude. So thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I I would love to get you on again at some point because I've got various other things I'd love to chat to you about. But thank you so much and keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much. I'm more than happy to, to come back on. You know how to get in touch with us so we can make that happen whenever you feel like it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye.